I continue to wear the hijab today because it reminds me when I put it on every morning to recommit myself to the principles of justice and mercy. Over time, hijab represented to me more like a warrior's shield. Like if you put on this shield, you have to be ready to fight. I don't walk around feeling like I am just my hijab. That's one part of who I am, a really important part of who I am, but it's one of many other pieces of my identity. I'm Hiba Fisher. And I'm Razana Zayani, and you're listening to Kerning Cultures, a podcast dissecting the complex narratives of the Middle East through stories. And one story that always kind of captures my imagination. The streets lost culture. And you're listening to Kerning Cultures. This is part two in a two-part episode. If you haven't listened to part one yet, we suggest you do that first. It'll make this episode so much more complete. Act three, Irtifa. Okay. So this thing has to be pretty close to your mouth. Oh. Um, like right here-ish. Okay. <laughs> I just will ignore it. Yeah. Big it's yeah. It's invisible. Okay. <laughs> I continue to wear the hijab today because it reminds me when I put it on every morning to recommit myself to the principles of justice and mercy, and my my personal commitment not only to god but to stand up for to to make that justice the divine justice sort of a reality on earth my name is Ertafa Binte Farid. I'm a Bangladeshi Muslim American. I grew up in Bangladesh, so I was born there and I was there until I was 12. Um, and my village is like right on the border with India. So that's where my father is from. My parents are both doctors. My father was a psychiatrist and my grandmother took care of me most of the day because my mother was a medical student. I grew up with a skeleton in our living room. Um, and my first show and tell, I took the hip bone of the skeleton as the piece to show and tell. <laughs> and my family is pretty religious. My father prays five times a day, um, never really misses a prayer. I just grew up with the idea that faith is really important, that God is important. Bangladesh is a Muslim country. It's changed now, but as I was growing up, it was more of a culturally Muslim country. You know, everybody knew they were Muslim. They're like 96% of the population is Muslim. So it wasn't something that we really talked about. We never talked about, you know, we are Muslim. It wasn't something to discuss. My parents didn't make me pray. Um, they didn't make me fast. They didn't let me fast a full month until I was 14. And I had been begging to do it since I was like eight because it was so cool. You know, you knew you were a grown up when you did that. When we moved here in the U.S., um, I started covering between the summer between middle school and high school. I was about to turn 14, I think. I don't think I was 14 yet. And part of it was that everybody kept asking me, like, to speak for Muslims to an extent. And it was the first time in my life I had had to do that. People were seeing the same stories on the news about, you know, why we're going to war in Afghanistan as I was. And for me, it was confusing because I was like, the way Islam was being portrayed was not what I had grown up with. I was just like, that's not what you know, what it looks like. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? I got a lot of these questions and I didn't always have an answer. Um, so I would go to Sunday school and I'd ask the questions and then I'd get back to people. But it was, I, I felt like I was speaking about Islam and it was still about Islam. It wasn't about myself because I hadn't really figured out how to see myself as like Muslim first, you know. I hadn't grown up thinking of myself as Muslim 
and that being an important category because everybody was. So, you know, it's like people in America don't grow up thinking I'm white and that's what, you know, this is white culture. Part of me wanting to wear the hijab came from like a fear that people wouldn't be as accepting of me in high school as they were in middle school. And so I was like, you know what, if they're not going to like me for me, then I'm going to give them, I don't know, it was like a, if I, if they don't like me, I can deflect it onto the hijab then than me. But I know the reason I started to wear it. So these were all sort of there in the back of my thinking. But then I was at the mosque one day. So people would walk in and they would put on a scarf, you know, they would cover their hair. And so I, I always went in already with the dupatta, which is the long thing. I would just wrap it sort of around my head. I think it was a Friday because I went with my dad. And then when I walked out, it felt really stupid to me to take it off because in my head, I was like, if I believe if I actually accept that God asks us to do this, and if I believe God is everywhere, then why do I only wear it in the mosque? Like, it's not like he's only in the mosque, you know? So when I left, I just looked at Baba and I was like, can I just keep wearing this? And he was like, sure. So, and I remember we walked through downtown mall and I was like, oh God, this is so weird. This is so weird. This is so weird. But I think it was weirder in my head. Nobody stopped me. Nobody yelled at me. You know, nothing actually happened. So then I went home. I thought about it some more and I told my parents, I'm going to wear the hijab and Baba was like oh you meant like forever I just thought you meant like that day <laughs> and they actually tried really hard to convince me not to do it like my parents were also really afraid of me going to high school the U.S. was just starting to talk about maybe going to war I mean already there were all these stories about Muslim women being attacked in New York and big places and so they were like don't do it you're a kid like you have no idea what responsibility you're taking on yourself wait until you're in college and I told them that, nope, I'm going to do it now because I don't know if I don't do it now, who knows if I'll ever do it. And I think that's absolutely true. I don't think I would have done it later. But I think the fear was that if I once I put on a scarf, once I put on a hijab, that's how I will always be seen. It would never be just Irtifa. It would be Irtifa the Muslim girl, you know. And so, like, in the halls that first semester, I heard things like, you know, Osama's sister or go back to where you came from and I was just like I just laughed I was like I'm not even Afghan <laughs> you know like I was like what learn your geography um the only time that I really got upset I was going to lunch and I had been I was like just a little late I didn't leave with the rest of the class when they left I was packing up or I don't know what I was doing but I was I was separated from the group I usually go with so I was just walking to go to the cafeteria and so the door to the cafeteria really bottlenecks at one point so I was stuck in this really crowded hallway with people and someone pulled my hijab from the back so it really like pulled my whole head back and I actually like now if that happened my first instinct would be fear but I was so angry I turned around and I was like who did that and no one said anything it was like a crowd of people and what really bothered me is that not only did the person not say anything no one who had seen it said anything and all I said was cowards, and I walked away. I think when I was younger, it was fine because I saw it as, like, my mission to, like, like I said, I will prove them wrong. I will show them that a hijabi woman can be empowered. Like, Islam doesn't have to be disempowering for women. But I think the older I get, the more frustrating it becomes because it is, it, I just want, like, I am wearing the hijab, and I kind of want it to just be a part of who I am without it becoming, like, a statement like I know I'm marking myself out by wearing this but at the same time like that doesn't erase me it's not supposed to erase my personality my individuality like it is a conscientious choice and it does affect how I interact with people but again I have like 
good days where I'm like, yes, I did. I'm I'm like being a good hijabi, you know, in the normative sense. And then the days where I'm like, I really don't want to do this. Not the not wearing the hijab. I just don't want to. I don't want to have to explain to people. I don't want to have to explain my presence. I don't want to have to do this. So like one example, there was some terrorist attack somewhere in the world. And I was taking the bus and I was really upset either because of the news or something happened in my personal life. But I remember like looking up and there were there were like people staring at me and I had to consciously be like, okay, don't be angry, smile. And it was just that moment. And then I came to my department and I just sat down and I was just really upset. And I had to like talk to someone and be like, you know, I can't even be angry um, in public. So I'm getting emotional now again. But it's just little things like that. That's not it doesn't one instance doesn't bother you but it builds up i never set told my mother or my sister that they had to cover right but all the signals i got from the muslim community was that i was a better muslim because i covered my hair because i could recite more surahs because i was more visibly present in the mosque because i sort of like was more visually muslim i was seen as somehow better at being a Muslim. And for a long time, I didn't question that. I sort of was like, yeah, it's my job to teach them. One of the reasons I consider taking it off is I get to have a platform and a voice in the Muslim community. I get to ask questions about patriarchy within Islam to an extent because I wear the hijab. Like people don't automatically sort of disregard my questions. Versus if my sister asked the same question and my sister is better about praying than I am, and I'll just put that out there right now. If she asked the question, unless people knew her and knew that she is pretty practicing, people would maybe dismiss her as like, you know, this godless feminist. And that's something that I really struggle with. Then my dad got sick a couple of years ago. And when he was, when the doctors told us, you know, like he had to have emergency surgery and stuff. And so the doctors told us, say goodbye. We don't know if he's going to make it back. And so we were all like, I was a hot mess. But my dad was just like, if I have to meet God today, if today is my day, I have nothing to regret, but I don't think it's my day. And he's here. He's fine. He's doing much better. But just that I was. And then like while he was in the ICU and he was recovering on Friday, he would be like, I have to go to Jama. I have to go to Jama. And I was like, Baba, you have like a wire stuck in your your stomach is still open. Like you have not been sewn back together. You cannot go to Jama. You know, but he was so he was so like, I have to go to Jama. Like I have to stand in front of God. And I was like, you can pray from here. God will cure you. He will understand. So he did. And he was like drugged up. You know, he had like more than morphine because morphine wasn't working for working for him he should have been completely out of it but that was his thought and the nurses came in and he kept explaining to everybody what jama is why friday special how we pray and i just remember being like oh my god i i don't have that courage i don't have that strength of faith i don't think it just really showed me it just really amazed me that i grew i had been taught to think that because of because of all these things I do or sort of way I dress or whatever it is um, that it had any indication of my faith, like my internal faith. And during those two weeks when I saw my parents sort of go through this, I was like, that is absolutely false. Like their faith is stronger than I think mine will ever be. And so since then, I've started to really think about it. And it's again, I'm sort of ashamed of myself that it took me this long. Um, I mean, it was frustrating to me before that 
people would think that my mom is somehow less Muslim or less of a good Muslim than I am. But that really, really, really affected me. And I don't want... That was one of the reasons I was like, you know what? I just want to show people that the hijab does nothing. Like, it's nothing unless it's something that comes from within. Acts 4, Ra'a. I don't walk around feeling like I am just my hijab. That's one part of who I am, a really important part of who I am, but it's one of many other pieces of my identity. My name is Ru'a Al-Abwe. I'm from Jordan. I'm 26 years old. I grew up in Saudi Arabia, very multicultural kind of international community. I would say my family is pretty moderate. We're not extremely religious. We celebrated Ramadan, Eid. We, you know, read Quran. I don't think there was a point in time where I thought, oh, I'm Muslim. Like, obviously, I always knew I was Muslim. I don't think I ever really thought about it that much. Or like my, the fact that my mom wore it, it was just kind of part of who she was. I somehow thought it was something you do when you get older, like after you have kids, or like that it wasn't something I would be thinking about at a younger age. Something switched in my in my thinking. So I started to think that it was really beautiful that someone would decide that I don't just care about my appearance or what others think about how I look and that I want to present myself in a different way that's not just about how I look. So that was the beginning of a switch in my mindset. So my sister wore the hijab before I did, and so that also kind of got me thinking. I think it was probably in my last two years of high school. I kind of made the decision in a way that I wanted to wear the hijab at some point. I didn't know when. There was also a part of me that was hesitant because I had this idea that I wasn't doing all the things I should be doing as a Muslim to wear the hijab. So I guess in a way, in my mind, the hijab was like, you needed to be doing all these other things perfectly or really well before you wore the hijab. And in my mind, I thought probably all women who wear it are just really great at like praying on time and doing everything you're supposed to, you would want to do as a Muslim. We moved to Jordan in 2006, which was, that was the beginning of my 11th grade. And this is gonna sound a little morbid, but one of the things, as I kept thinking about this during those two years, that kind of triggered another desire to wear it. There was a girl in my school who passed away suddenly, is what I remember. It was not like she was sick or anything. She wore the hijab. When she passed away, I, it also triggered this thinking about what am I waiting for? Just because I'm young doesn't mean I'm gonna live for 10, 20 more years. Like I began to say to myself, when I pass away, I want to have chosen to wear the hijab. I want to have be, you know, be wearing it. And so what happened was I graduated from high school and I knew that I was going to go into this new phase of university. Ramadan felt like a good time to start, you know, because of it being a spiritual month. And so I decided on to, to wear it on the first day. My, the whole process of me building this relationship with hijab, with who I am, with Islam, was actually very internal and very, just something I thought about by myself. Didn't really talk to my family or, or even so much friends that much about what was going through my mind. It was a lot of just introspection. I did end up telling my sister, I think the night before, because I, I wanted, I wanted to tell someone and I also wanted, I needed a hijab, I needed a scarf. We were going to go out somewhere and I just remember walking out of my room like, okay, I'm ready. And my parents like turned like, had to do like a double take, like what? 
<laughs> Who's that? I think they were surprised just because I hadn't ever talked about it. But it was, it was, they were surprised, but happy. Like they, I remember them being happy. There may have been a sense of relief from their side. Maybe they were happy that I'd made a step like that on my own without them needing to tell me to. When I first started wearing it, there was a feeling of a sense of calm and, and comfort. I remember that at the beginning being a really nice feeling. I didn't want to just suddenly like, I didn't want to change the things I like to do or the things I enjoy just because I started wearing hijab. And so part of that was also, I think, navigating norms and figuring out like, okay, well, part of this is just because society decided that this is ayib, which is, would just mean that it's taboo or not really accepted in a society. And what part of it is religious thing? And what am I convinced that I want to do and, and don't want to do? Like music and singing, singing in particular. I sing and I did musicals when I was in school and I love that part of my life and I didn't want to give that up. And for some time, I think I thought, like after wearing the hijab, for some time, I thought that, oh, do I have to now stop singing? Is that like not acceptable as part of wearing hijab? Sometimes I have felt if I do go up and sing that people will be surprised or I'll get looks. I guess I should say I don't know whether just looks of curiosity or looks of disapproval. What the heck is she doing? She's wearing hijab and she's singing. This doesn't make sense or this is not appropriate. Part of it was also wanting to respect the hijab as an idea, as a concept of all women who wore hijab, and wanting to make sure that because I was aware that I was and am like a visual representation of my religion, that I wanted to make sure what I was doing was respectful of that. Um, and so eventually I decided, no, that doesn't stop me from continuing to do the things I love and to sing. I don't see... Uh, like a conflict between the two. I don't walk around feeling like I am just my hijab. That's one part of who I am, a really important part of who I am, but it's one of many other pieces of my identity. This episode was produced by Razana Zayani, Lily Crown, and myself, Hiba Fisher, with sound design by Mohamed Khayzat. A big thank you to producer Dana Balut and Hekaya for the inspiration for this episode. And if you want to hear more of their live performances from the Storytelling Evenings, check out their Facebook page Hekaya Storytelling Beirut. Until next time. <laughs>